You are listening to Perplexity. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Perplexity, a mystery podcast. As always, I am your host, Kadra, and today I'm joined by by a very special guest. I have Cassidy Liston from Drinking the Kool-Aid podcast. Hello, everybody. What's up? (laughs) (laughs) So happy you're here. It's really awesome to have you. I had Amanda a couple weeks ago. So Yes, and I saw she had her cute little uh, dog moment, pets moment. Yes, I wanted to pick something like lighthearted, cute, and fun for Amanda. And yeah, it was that's a, lot of a fun. good idea because she'd be crying. Like, let me tell you, yeah, she will cry like immediately. There were definitely <laughs> some moments in there where I was like, we might make Amanda cry because the Oscar the hospice cat part of the episode is about like end of life and taking care of like patients yeah. and their final final moments and so I was like we we might um we might there lose was, her briefly there was one point I like cut out because she was just sitting there like like this and I was like oh my god are you okay and I ended up like just cutting it out of the episode <laughs> She was You're like, am I how bad am I tra- traumatizing you right now? Blink twice if you need help. <laughs> so yeah, everybody, this is Cassidy from Drinking the Kool-Aid, one of my friends. Uh definitely check out their podcast. And just wanted to like plug the Patreon really quick because it's still pretty new. And I uh, have some creepy stories from the internet going on there right now. Um, the Daughters of the Cults coverage should come out either this week at the time this episode drops or the week after. And I have the Hell Camp documentary coverage on there, some personal stories. It's just three bucks a month. So definitely check that out. It really helps me keep the show going. Um, I got my merch links in the episode description. Get you Get you some cute merch. And I think that's like all of the just general housekeeping things. Um, But I picked out this story today because, you know, we were talking about sports earlier. Cassidy loves sports and is pretty good at talking about them. I am not. So I'm a little bit nervous because this is my first sports episode. Um, And then we were also talking about how we love an underdog. And Oh, absolutely. This is an underdog story. So I think that's part of why I love it so much. So today, Cassidy, I'm going to tell you the story of Yan Mardenborough and the Gran Turismo Academy. the one that they just made a movie about yes okay I haven't seen the movie yet so I really don't know the story that well so I'm excited okay we'll talk about the movie a little bit at the end and that is what introduced me to this story cool I'm excited so um I have a lot of sources that I used they are all down in the show notes so many sources were used today I'll cite a couple throughout the story um I don't think there's any trigger warnings today, but uh, me and Cass enjoy our fair share of cursing. So move along yeah. if, if you don't, if that offends you. Sorry, move guys. Along. This podcast isn't for children. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Yan was born uh, September 9th, 1991. So he's a Virgo. 
and he is from Darlington, England. His parents were Steve and Leslie. And Yan had really big dreams, but like a lot of teenagers, he lacked direction. He didn't know what he wanted to do with his life. Um, his dad had been a professional footballer for 13 years and then retired, and his mom was a nurse. And Yan was the oldest. He had a younger brother. But Yan, from a young age, like from when he was around eight, loved cars. So he knew that he wanted to do something with cars, preferably racing, because he just loved the idea of being behind a powerful machine and being able to control it. He, yeah, he's a big car guy. Um, so I scary. Never, I think, yeah, so oh, I think driving should be illegal. <laughs> I genuinely feel that. I do. I think it should be illegal to drive. It's too scary. Well, this is going to take it to very much yeah. the next level. <laughs> you can jump on a horse and buggy. That's fine. But <laughs> do not, do not put someone behind the wheel of a car. It's too dangerous. Yeah. I, I mean, we'll get into it more, but I had no idea. Like, obviously I knew it was dangerous, but I didn't know how much went into it. And I mean, I have a lot of respect for racers now. Cause I was like, wow, this is so crazy. It's much more physical than people realize. Yes. We'll talk about that yeah. too. Um, so as he got older, his family relocated to Cardiff, Wales, and he loved video games. So in his free time, he would play a lot of Gran Turismo, which is uh, the movie about his life that just came out last year is called Gran Turismo. So it's based on his life and this game. So basically, Yan had no experience yet with driving race cars. He was just a teenager, but he really wanted to do it. And this game, it was like this competitive online gaming racing simulator. And there were multiple versions of this game, like Gran Turismo 1, Gran Turismo 2, 3, 4, 5. He owned all of them. He played them religiously, and it was for PlayStation. Uh, it was produced by a guy named Kazunori Yamauchi. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Sorry if I said that wrong. Uh, but he, they do like a little teaser of him at the end of the movie talking about like the making of this game. And what's so cool is that this game is, and I mean, this is what they say, at least. It's the most accurate to real life racing. Okay. They 3D map everything, including the tracks and the cars. They really study the mechanics and the hydraulics of everything, the physics of all the cars. So when you're in this simulator, it's supposed to, I guess, as close as you can mimic being in a race car. Okay, so I was going to say it's more like a simulator than a video game. So like yes. obviously they can make stuff pretty accurate. They have like flight simulators and helicopter simulators and all that stuff. Exactly. It's interesting cuz like you can buy it on PlayStation just like a normal video game is my understanding, but they advertise it as a simulator and, and I watched a couple of interviews with Mardenborough and that's what he always says. He's like it's a simulator. So yeah. He had yeah, like you're not just like playing Mario Kart over here. No, he had like a steering <laughs> wheel like attachment that he used and stuff. Um, so it's really cool. But he would play this game over and over. He logged like thousands of hours playing this game, and he got really, really good at it. Um, and because of that, he learned a lot about just how cars worked and racing, and kind of memorized these infamous tracks because again, they 3D map 
these famous tracks that real life racers race on. Yeah. Um, he was insanely good at this game. He beat people from all over the world. And when it was 2011, he got an invitation from the Gran Turismo Academy. And so the Gran Turismo game basically created this academy uh, a few years prior to when they invited Martinborough. And they were like, you know, we're going to take our top racers and we're going to teach them to become professional race car drivers. Oh, so they were like, hey, we're confident enough in our simulator that we think that these people could actually be like top racers. Exactly. Wow. Imagine Pretty... if they did that with Call of Duty. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I played probably 12 hours of Call of Duty a day when I was in really? high school. I'm not kidding. I was a huge gamer online for, for great. <laughs> and as I'm saying this, I realize now like, absolutely they would have let me join the military and pretended like I was good because of Call of Duty. I am realizing that as I say it. <laughs> <laughs> they they needed bodies. They yeah, were like, it... sure, babe, you're five foot one, you have crippling anxiety and depression and you're flat footed and also uh, <laughs> everything else is wrong with you. Sign up. We'll it give is you a crazy. Like the Mustang. Thing... <laughs> I can't remember some specific examples, but I know I've heard before that you can get disqualified from the military pretty easily for like very, even like minor vision issues or like minor health conditions. They're like, goodbye. Yeah. I had a friend who really wanted to be in the air force because his dad was, and he was like colorblind or something. And they were like, nope. Yeah. Get out of here. Which like, I guess it makes sense. There's probably colors up there, but wild and i was just like really like there's colors you there what, you should take what you can get man like no people aren't exactly rushing to sign up for the military anymore true oh yeah yeah there's a lot we could get into with that but <laughs> you're like that's a whole other episode girl it sure is okay so basically gran turismo academy reaches out to Marnborough. I don't know exactly how, but he got a message from them and they were like, congratulations, you're one of our top racers. We want you to compete in this ultimate online racing contest. And if you do really well, like if you're one of the fastest racers, then we'll invite you to our academy and we'll train you to become a professional racer. Okay. Jan would later say about this in an interview, quote, once the Academy kind of presented itself, I believe in fate. I was in kind of a darkish place in my life, dropping out of uni when I was 19, living at home again. And in January, February 2011, I was kind of on a gap year and then this appeared online. So he was working in real retail. His parents were not happy with him because he dropped out of university. He was just, it's not for me. I don't know what to do. Um, Down there, brother. Yeah. <laughs> so parents not happy with you? Relatable. Well, <laughs> it worked out perfect for him. Like in his mind, he was like, this is a perfect way to segue into my dream. But of course, like imagine if you told your parents that you were going to do this. You know? Yeah, you're like, I, hey, mom and dad, I um, I wasted so much time on a video game. They're going to put me in a video game university. Isn't that, aren't you proud? <laughs> They're like, jeez, <laughs> oh, Louise. But should we just try for another one just in case this one doesn't work out? Should I get right. pregnant right now? Is that what you're... <laughs> 
Yeah, Jan, Jan said that his mom was very supportive, but his dad and his brother were basically just like, whatever, dude. Like, they did not think that he would go far in it. They, they didn't take it seriously. Uh, but, you know, the Academy invites him, and the Academy had been going on for, like, the last few years. It started in 08, and finalists were selected from these online trials, and then the uh, finals, which was, like, the real-life racing, was the Silverstone Circuit in the UK. Uh, the finals were a challenging experience. The contestants would face all these different obstacles and challenges to kind of just prove their racing skills. You know, they wanted to kind of vet them. And yeah. Yan would become a top 20 finalist in the 2011 GT Academy competition because he beat out... 90,000 other competitors. Jeez Louise. He was really, really good. Yeah. Um, I was watching an interview with him on YouTube today, and someone in the comments was like, yeah, like way back when he would play this game, allegedly, he was like, I raced him on Gran Turismo, and he was insanely fast. He whooped my ass. Like, he was really, really good. Yeah, so, he was like memorably good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so the same year that the Academy held this big um, race, which was sponsored by Nissan, uh, they picked, you know, the best racers from around the world. But ultimately, Jan won the race against all of these like finalists that they picked. So he started to transition from gaming to professional racing, but obviously this wouldn't be an easy transition. So for those of you who are like me and don't know much about sports or professional racing, turns out there's a lot of training and physical exercise uh, that is required to be able to do something like this and mental training. Okay. There was like a Disney Channel show or movie about Formula One racing. Okay. Like where a chick is a Formula One racer. I I might be making this up, but I swear to God. This there isn't is. Herbie like, fully loaded, is it? No. <laughs> it's like from when I was in like junior high. So this had to have been like, you know, 2005. Okay. Um, I don't know. And she was like a racer and everyone would make fun of her like, oh, you're not a real athlete. And then I remember this like one specific scene where she was like, you get thrown back against the seat because you're in, you know, whatever. It's like two G's of force pushing against you. And while you're doing that, you have to make sure you're maintaining the, the tur torque on the thing. And she's like describing it to this guy who's making fun of her. And she's like, do you think you could do all that? And the guy's like, no, <laughs> I'm sorry, ma'am. And I once again could be making this up, but I swear to God, it's a real thing. And I remember that scene every time I'm driving. I'm always like, two gigs of force or whatever. <laughs> I always maintain the about... torque on the wheel. This is so, <laughs> like, obviously, this is so much more intense than like normal driving. But in driving school, I remember my instructor told me that, like, if you are driving 60 miles an hour and you crash into a car that's going, I'm going to explain this so badly, but if you crash into a car that's going like 40 miles an hour and you hit each other head on, it basically like, I guess physics wise, like combines that force and makes it yeah. so much more intense. Um, so that's why it's so important to be mindful of like distance and speeding and stuff like that. It's so dangerous. I just looked it up 
I didn't make this up. Okay. What's it called? It's a Disney Channel original movie called Right on Track. Okay. I've and heard of that. It's based on the, the true story of Erica and Courtney Enders, who were drag racing sisters. Okay. Okay. I was like, this has to be a real thing. Literally, as you're describing all of this, I'm like picturing this film in my head. <laughs> you need to watch this movie. It's... it. To me, it's really good. There was okay, some I'm controversy. Gonna. There was some controversy about it, which we'll kind of briefly talk about, but <gasps> I really enjoyed it. You so, know I love some controversy. Some tea. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so to become a professional racer, let's just kind of briefly talk about some qualifications because I didn't know any of this, and I feel like a lot of my listeners might not know. So you have to, of course, develop driving skills so you're like religiously practicing at tracks you're using simulators you have to improve your racing techniques and reflexes uh these cars are also typically manual which takes an extra level of skill to drive um i've never driven stick have you cassidy uh i tried to learn how to drive stick when i was in high school my mom had a vw bug that was stick and she tried to teach me and we literally stopped the training sessions because she was like, you're going to destroy my car. Like, you are so bad at this. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Fair. Real. And then now my boyfriend has a old 1979 Dodge truck. Yeah. Which is so cute. I love it. Um, but he, it's stick and it's like old style stick. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to teach you how to do it. And I was like, all right. Good luck, brother. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I'm the same way. I... I've never driven stick and I feel like I would be so terrible at it. Even just like driving a truck before scared the shit out of me. So imagine like driving stick going 200 miles an hour. No, absolutely And like not. sharp not curves. No. So in addition to all the driving skills you have to develop, there's also a lot of physical fitness required. Um, Endurance and physical fitness are absolutely crucial because of the extreme conditions that the racers experience during races. The training routines typically include exercises like running, cycling, and resistance training because you have to prepare your body for the demands of like a long race. Um, you have to get a competition license. You have to usually join a racing club because then that gets you access to events and resources. You have to, of course, obtain a car equipment, which is extremely expensive. Yeah. Um, so it's um, I started watching just the first episode today, but it's about Formula One racing. It's a documentary on Netflix and it's called like Drive to Survive, like Formula One Drive to Survive, something like that. And they were talking about how the playing field in racing is not level at all because there's like Mercedes and Audi and like these incredibly wealthy companies that spend millions of dollars on a car and they have teams of like hundreds of people. So when you're like coming up and in these smaller teams and you only have, you know, maybe a quarter of their budget to spend on a car it's not exactly a fair fight. So that's kind of yeah. what his experience was. Like, yes, they had money and funds because it was Nissan, but it was nothing compared to like Ferrari, Audi, Mercedes. Audi, yeah. That so, makes sense. Cause, so like I grew up riding horses. Okay. So it's very similar. Like obviously the horse you have is as good as you're going to 
do if you're like in a barrels and poles competition or something you know what i mean like yeah if you have some old ass horse that you got third hand from someone that's gonna be different than that like perfect stallion it doesn't mean that you can't win on it if you're really good but like also you know it's not an even playing playing field like like most things it's like it depends how much you can spend on it exactly i mean even like football or swimming or whatever like you know i don't know if you did sports at all like growing up but there were the kids who who could afford to be in like a club right, right. like in a in a soccer club and in a swimming club whatever and there are the kids who couldn't and like the kids who could they were getting trained all year long so yeah of course they yeah. would come into the season ready and better than last year and then there were kids who couldn't and it was like yeah they might have swam down at the y a few times but that's not the same thing and so you get an edge up money money yeah. money i i did gymnastics for 14 years and then i did cheerleading for a couple of years um so i used to be like six pack really skinny yeah <laughs> Um, and my sister did like volleyball and stuff. And yeah, I remember they would have like sponsorships for, for some kids, but you know, most kids in those situations, they just don't do it. Um, I don't know how accurate this is, but in the movie, Jan Marinborough's family was like struggling a lot financially. Mm -hmm. So like they would have never been able to have funded him to do something like this. It was yeah, all... they're not going to be able to afford a race car. Are you no. joking? You can... It's so hard to afford a normal car. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I thought this was really interesting. This really, like, puts the physical endurance into perspective. So there's this professional strength and conditioning coach named Alex Stott. And he did this interview, and he was talking about just how he has to train race car drivers and what happens to their bodies. So he said, quote, a racer's heart rate in a race will be average between 140 and 170 beats per minute. So that's similar to a jog for like two hours. Um, and it can peak up to 205 beats per minute before the race even starts and at key points in the race. Uh, he also talked about how drivers can lose 4 to 11 pounds of fluid in their body over the course of just a two-hour race depending yeah. on the environmental conditions. Uh, and then he talked about the G-forces, which you brought up earlier. So he said head and helmet combined weigh roughly 14 pounds under the loads of 5 to 6 G. So I guess that's the G-forces. Um, so during each braking event or when you're turning a sharp corner, the neck muscles have to resist 66 to 79 pounds. Um, and then when you're pressing the brake, it can be a, up to 220 pounds of force. So basically all of this to say, Stott puts it into perspective saying that professional racers experience G-forces that are greater than those of NASA astronauts when they're taking off yeah. into space. I feel like I remember that from that movie, Right Track. I'm not kidding you. We, you got to watch that. I'll watch Gran Turismo. You watch Right Track. Yes. Okay. On the Right Track. <laughs> it's probably on Disney Plus. Absolutely. Yeah. So obviously insanely intense. And then when I was watching that documentary this morning, the racers also had like this kind of plastic brace that they would put around their neck. And then it had like this tall piece of plastic behind their head. And I'm assuming that's for like neck stability because of the crazy forces yeah. that they're under. So in addition to all of this training that 19 year old Yan is now going to do, 
he also had this huge stigma on him from the racing community because he's a video gamer. Like, they're like, yeah. what is this dweeb doing <laughs> driving yeah. these race cars? Um, the average racer also, I looked this up, is between like 38 and 39 years old. So he was okay. super young. Um, yeah. You know, people train for years to do this kind of thing. Uh, also, people were like, is this safe? You know, speculating just, you know, his qualifications, essentially, because he did have to learn really fast. Uh, and additionally, Yan is a biracial man with a black father. He didn't look like a lot of the other racers. Um, Can I look at the pictures or the first picture? You oh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Because I think you had a picture of a dude. I'm assuming that's him. That's him. Yeah, the first picture. Oh, he is so handsome. And he's so cute. He's so cute. Ah. My dad said he looks like TJ. <laughs> he does kind of look like TJ. And the actor that. that plays him in the movie, like, very much resembles him. It's the, um, yeah. shoot, what is his name? It's, like, Archie Medekwe from Saltburn. The guy with, like, the yes. big hair. That's, he plays him in Grand Tree. And he's so good in Saltburn. So I bet so he's good. just, like, amazing. What a really, talented really, actor. Yes, yeah. really good. Um, so Yan does talk about this in an interview, like how prevalent white men are in racing. And I thought this was interesting. He just kind of talked about the history briefly, which I did not know. So basically NASCAR was born out of World War II because mm -hmm. all of the men came home. A lot of them were like flying planes and wanted like thrills. And so NASCAR was essentially born from that. Um, and then, of course, those people would pass that knowledge on to their kids. So a lot of white men in this industry. So, you know, and meanwhile, once again, I mean, just money, as we know, yes. white people because of the slavery, Jim Crow, all of the fucking shitty stuff that we've done to black people in this country and other countries. Uh, you know, white people are just more likely to have generational wealth. So they're more likely to be able to afford a really expensive car and, and a hobby that is really expensive you know right yeah and Jan had kind of like a like a very level perspective on all of it like he was on this show with two black American men and they were like what's it like being a black racer and he was like listen I've never really had those experiences for myself I've never really noticed the difference but here's like the history and he talked about World War II and all of that and he was like my dad though as a black footballer had a huge stigma on him in the 80s and 90s and had a lot of those racial experiences. So it was interesting. Um, but, you know, ultimately, either way, the odds for Martinborough were very much stacked against him. But he trained really hard with the academy. Uh, he was trained and mentored by this engineer named Richard Davila, who is in the movie. Uh, not him, but an actor portraying him. And Davila was basically the first engineer who treated Mardenborough without any kid gloves. He was like hardening him up and he was like, listen, this is extremely dangerous. You need to know what the fuck you're doing. And Davila had a background in racing. He was like a really, yeah. really good racer. So he, you know, he trained him, mentored him. Uh, yeah, he had like, been in this. This isn't sport. a video game anymore. This is no. real life. Yeah. 
Yeah, and he had experience um, Davila in Formula One, which is like the most intense, the fastest. So he wasn't fucking around. Um, he played a significant role in Martin Bro's life at that time. So the other thing too is. Yan had to train really, really quickly. They gave him six months, which is not a lot of time at all, um, because it's 2011 and the Dubai 24-hour race is coming up. This was a huge deal. Everybody was basically like, this is one of the biggest races to compete in. You have to do this. You have six months. So after six oh, months lady. of professional racing training, it was time for Yan to take part in his first big race. And it was an endurance race, 24 hours. So it takes place at the Dubai Autodrome. And like I said, it lasts for 24 hours. There's no breaks. It's literally 24 hours. Uh, you do work in teams. Yan had a team of four drivers, including himself. So you drive around like four hours and then swap out with people. Um, and then I guess you sleep in between. Yeah, I was going to say, like, do you just pee your pants? <laughs> I wondered that too, actually, because, yeah, if you're driving for hours and then they have to be really hydrated because they're losing all these fluids, I feel like you would have to pee your pants. Yeah, they've, I don't know. There's definitely been at least one adult diaper in this right. in, in this situation. I, I I'm sure if you like Googled that, they'd be like, "Oh yeah, we wear adult diapers or something." Yeah. <laughs> um. So unlike a standard race that is more about speed, this one's a lot more about reliability, fuel efficiency of the car. Um. It was 5.39 kilometers and had 16 insanely sharp turns. Um, this race is very famous for its challenging and competitive nature. Basically, any big racer has to do this race and has to do Le Mans, which we'll talk about too. Um, so with his team, Yan ended up securing a podium place. They finished third in his class. And, you know, he's just 19 years old. So this... Yeah, that's pretty dang good. This is the race that made like a really big name for him, for sure. Um, people started recognizing him and were like, okay, this guy, you know, maybe he's not just like a video game nerd. <laughs> so after this, he really starts to build his confidence. He's still doing a lot of training. And then at this point, Nissan offered him a contract for another racing series. And then his career really started to take off. So in 2012, he competed in the British GT Championship Pro-Am class with Nissan, and he did really well. He secured two um, podiums, and he competed in some other big races that year. Um, 2013 is when Le Mans happened, so that's like a big one I want to focus on. So this is in Le Mans, France, and this track is 13.5 kilometers long so oh wow it's more than twice as long as the dubai track and le mans is also a 24-hour race um the arena can hold up to a hundred thousand people and fun fact the year that martin Bro did this race patrick dempsey was in attendance he oh. 
wanted to check it out. <laughs> okay, McDreamy, I see you. Yes. <laughs> um, so it's pretty common for like a lot of big time people to attend these races. It's one of the most famous races of all times of all time. And a lot of big racers do it. Um, also, so the average race car goes like 186 to 200 kilometers per hour. This one, the top speed at the Le Mans race was 366 kilometers per hour. Oh my God. And F1. That is like so said, scary. It's so, so terrifying. Yeah. And like I said, F1 is the fastest. And F1, they typically race around like 186 kilometers max per hour. So this is insanely fast. Um, and again, it's an endurance race. So when they're in the car, you know, they could be in there for like four hours. A typical race lasts for 15 to 60 minutes. Yeah. So it's crazy. And then the other thing about Le Mans is the key is not who passes the finish line first. It's who covers the greatest amount of distance within 24 hours. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like basically like how many loops can you do in 24 hours? Not exactly who can get there the fastest. Yeah. yeah. And if my memory serves, like the average number of loops they do is 360. <sighs> I just feel like I would, I would fucking crash because I would zone out. I think I would puke. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's usually around 60 competitors. They all race at the same time, but they're all in different classes. So they'll have... Okay like Formula One, Formula Two on the same track. Um, so they had LMP1, LMP2. I don't know what any of this means, full disclosure. <laughs> LMGTE Pro and LMGTE AM or AM, um, all on the track at the same time. So on average, a team covers 5,000 kilometers, which is about 350 laps. So right around that amount I was saying. Okay. Um, so basically, Yan's team ended up scoring third place in the LMP2 class with his other team members, Lucas Ordonez and Michael Crum. So that was a really, that was a podium spot. So that was really great for them. Um, he went on to do other races in 2014, did well with those. Um, 2015 was another big year for Mardenbro that I do want to highlight. Um, this is in the movie. So in 2015, he took part in the VLN Endurance Championship in Germany. And I apologize in advance because I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of this. Um, the, <laughs> so it's called the Nur, oh my God, Nürburgring Nordschleife, Nordschleife. That's the race. <laughs> and it Sounds was another... German. Yeah, <laughs> it was, um, he had like his team behind him, but he was racing by himself this time. So it was more about a speed okay. situation. Um, he had been training a lot at this point. He has like four years of experience and he's been doing really good. So he was very confident that he would do well. He had gotten a lot of notoriety in the racing community. Um, and I think at this point he was 23. So still pretty okay. young, but you know, um, so he raced in a Nissan GT3, and he had this um, tradition, like before he would race, he would listen to jazz music to kind of zen out. And this is also portrayed in the movie. So he's like 
alone in his little trailer, zinning out to his jazz music. He has a super clear head. He's ready. He steps into his Nissan. It's time to race, and he goes. Um, everything's going really well. He is at the front of the pack. Um, the car feels great. The track was incredibly challenging, but Martin Bro was navigating it seamlessly. Um, the weather was clear, so it was like a really good day for him. But at one point, Martin Bro came up on this hill. And at this point in the track, it's quite steep. He was traveling at about 125 miles per hour or 200 kilometers per hour when his car unexpectedly lifted into the air like completely off the ground Wait, no within just a matter of seconds his car flies into the air crashes through a, f- a fence into the spectator area yan was rushed to the hospital and when he woke up he would find out that this tragic accident caused severe injuries to 10 spectators and one fatality For a second, I thought he was going to die, and I got really sad. And that's still, I mean, and then now this is still sad. It's so sad. He survives, but, I mean, this, it does seem like this had a pretty significant effect on him. Um, And I'm a little torn. You tell me what you think. Um, In in the interview, Martin Bro doesn't mention the spectator's name, and he said he, like, doesn't like talking about it. And it was pretty hard to find the spectator's name online, but I did find it. So, like, I have his name, and it's like, he did die. So, I, like, I feel like I should mention it, but then at the same time, you know what I mean? Yeah, I feel like, I mean, it's hard. Um, usually, if it's difficult to find someone's name, it's because their family doesn't want it out there. Fair. But yeah. also, you don't want to be, like, not, you don't want to be disrespectful in the way to be, like, oh, spectator number one died. You know what I mean? Because, right. like that feels super dehumanizing. So I don't really know. I like, I also don't know about that, that kind of stuff. Cause it's, I feel like there's always two ways of thinking about it. And to me, both make sense. So it's difficult, but like the news is the news, I guess. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's in the sources. If you want to dig for his name, let's say that, but it was a man from the Netherlands. He was like in his forties. Um, I'm sure his family was devastated and yeah, what a freak accident. Yeah. And he was in um, this spectator. I can't remember the name of the zone, but the zone he was in had like a a name where it was like, if you're in this zone, you know, it's dangerous. Like, yeah, it's like the splash it, zone, but for yeah. cars. Yeah. Yeah. And my understanding is this is like the first accident that Marnborough had ever been in too. And again, he's 23. So a pretty pivotal age. He was really young. Um, the race was supposed to last a total of 24 hours. And when he crashed, the race immediately stopped and an emergency crew, you know, checked on everybody and provided medical care. This was, oh my gosh, is this the one? Yes. Holy moly. Yeah. That's Martin bro's car. I'll put these photos on the Instagram page and in the YouTube video. (sighs) Yeah, Yeah, that's. 
yeah, he flipped a couple of times, crashed into the fence. And because he was going so fast, when he struck the crowd, it injured and killed one person. Yeah. Um. So my understanding is the race wasn't restarted after this, too. It was just like, okay, we're done. Um, it was the first fatal accident involving spectators during a VLN endurance championship event. So it was a really, I mean, it's always a big deal, but you know what I mean? It was like pivotal. Yeah, totally. Cause like, I mean, not all the time, but obviously race car drivers die. Like that's how Dale Earnhardt died. Right. So it's like, yeah, that's, you know, we know that that happens and that's kind of the, the, I don't want to say they know, you know what I mean? They know that it's dangerous and what they're doing. So it's like, they kind of not signed up for it, but like they understand when they take on that role that what they're doing, but like being a spectator, that's so different. You know what I mean? Like you're not expecting to be anything but sitting there. And my understanding too, is that, you know, this was in Germany. So when Martin was racing, his parents were watching live on TV from Wales and, you know, they're, I'm sure they were like, oh, my God, is my son dead? Like, uh, I just can't imagine. Um, and the and like the excitement of them, like, oh, my gosh, Mike, my, my son isn't dead, but somebody else is dead. Like, there's a yeah. lot of guilt associated with that, too. I'm sure that he also had to deal with. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 And the uh, Drive to Survive documentary I started watching, the very first episode is following this like pretty young racer and his parents are like watching on the sidelines and you can just see the body language of his mom. She's so nervous and stressed. She's like tapping her feet and she's like shaking and her hands are like this the whole time. And she said like in an interview, she was like every race, I just pray for him to be safe. That's all I want is for him to be safe. And I'm just like, yeah, you don't really think about the parents of these racers. But yeah, so obviously this was incredibly tragic. It is included in the movie. Uh, Martin says that the crash scene is depicted very accurately to what actually happened. So it was pretty hard for him to watch um, when he watched it all back. Um, In the film, the crash is also like, a defining setback that kept Marnborough from wanting to race again. And Marnborough says that's not entirely true. Um, he did go through like grief and everything, but he, he actually started racing again pretty quickly. Um, and from what I gathered, it's like, he knew that he had to, like if he didn't get behind the wheel quickly, he would never race again essentially that is so true like if you get like a bad injury or something the traumatizing happens like the longer you put it off the harder it gets to get back started like I feel like any buddy would tell you that you know yeah yeah no for sure it like he kind of took a break because he didn't do like a big race again till 2018 but he started racing again like right away and um He did say in an interview, and I thought this was really sweet, um, just the way he worded it, at least. He was like, after this accident, me and my family, like, kind of sat down and had a family meeting. And now we have this rule where every time we leave the house, we have to tell each other we love each other, even if we're mad. Oh, that makes me want to cry. I know. Yeah. So it, I mean, it definitely 
had an impact on him. And also my understanding is the media was like all over this and pretty vicious. Um, and then I'm sure people on like Twitter and stuff were just saying awful things. So yeah, he, they he always did, are. He said he didn't like touch his phone or check social media for like months after this happened. Um, yeah. And, uh, Davila, the guy that was mentoring him was like, this was not your fault. This literally could have happened to anybody. Um, it was an incredibly difficult turn and there was like a name for the curve that he crashed at. Um, it was called Quiddlebacker Hulk, H-O-H-E, but it's, it's an infamous jump crest. So it's known for people doing that going into the... Yeah. Yeah. So it was a very hard turn. Um, so basically in 2018, after Mardenborough had kind of started to overcome this, he starts doing big races again. He scored first podium in the class at Sugo. So another race that he did there. Um, and then in 2019, he started doing a lot of races in Japan and was doing really, really well there. Um, as of 2023, he has competed in top-level racing series like um, Super GT, the Super Formula Championships in Japan. And he worked as like a test development driver for Nissan for a while. Uh, he helped make the Gran Turismo movie and kind of worked alongside the actor and the production team to help ensure the accuracy of the movie. He did the stunts for the movie. So that was cool. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's essentially the story, but I thought now we could kind of get into like a discussion about, uh, just this concept of like video game simulations and being able to then do something like this. That's kind of like the perplexing mystery of this is like, you know, how much of this was, just theorizing, like how much of this was his talent, how much of it was like the accuracy of this game, you know what I mean? Um, so many people say that the Gran Turismo game played a significant role in training Marnbro to become a professional racer uh, because of the incredibly realistic racing simulation. Um, Mardenborough has also said that there were a couple of tracks he would do and a couple of times when he would race where he would think back to a time that he did that track in the game and specific racing lines, like angles that he would take to cut across somebody. And they weren't like the yeah. typical lines that you would take when you're racing, but because he did it in the game and he knew it worked, there were a couple times that he would do it in real life and it helped him make those curves significantly faster um, than the average racer or like get in front of somebody. So, you know, interesting. Um, but what are your, what are your thoughts with that? I mean, clearly the game is extremely accurate. If it wasn't, then and I do think, you know, there's simulators for a lot of stuff. So it makes sense to me that if the people who are going into this were looking at it that way as a simulator more than just like a game, I could definitely see how um, it would be helpful to somebody who has a natural talent. Because I also just do think like some people naturally are just better at things than other people. Like, 
even if it's something that's not necessarily like an inherent like driving driving isn't like inherently natural like we we invented cars like a hundred years ago it's not like it's a human <laughs> nature to drive you know that's but very true that, yeah that there's people who just naturally are better at random shit like that and uh part of it i think especially with something like this is fearlessness and when you're in a simulator you have nothing to be afraid of so you can take that risk you can take that weird route you can do that thing and worst case scenario you just lose the game right Mm. Mm -hmm. And so I think that once you get in behind a real car, if he already has that mentality of I'm willing to take that risk and willing to do that thing to cut that three seconds off or to get around this person or whatever, um, I could definitely see how that that would be super beneficial, especially in someone so young. You know, as we know, the younger you are, the less you think about you don't think anything bad can happen to you when you're young. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We all do so much stupid shit. And then, like, the older we get, like, yeah, I don't want to go stand as close to that edge as I would have when I was 19. I don't want to go drive as fast as I would have because I'm smart. And now I realize people die and I could die. <laughs> yeah. A lot <laughs> of the, so much. A lot of the racers and like interviews that I've watched are like, they, they talk about that, like the concept of mortality and if you're not careful you can feel like you're flying and feel immortal and like mm -hmm. you kind of forget how dangerous it is what you're actually doing and I mean there's like you said Dale Earnhardt was like an incredible driver super professional lots of experience and he died doing this mm -hmm. so it is it is fatal um so yeah it's I I feel like the game if nothing else, gave him a lot of the foundational skills and obviously paved the way for him to be able to do something like this, which is another thing that I think is really cool because, like I said, the playing field is not level in this community. So it really gives mm -hmm. other people the opportunity, you know? Yeah, you don't need to have a $250,000 Mercedes. You can have a, you know, $200... Yeah video game set up and maybe not be on the same playing field but at least it'll put you in the conversation you know right. what I mean yeah and I think that is really interesting but I also so like when I was in high school like I said I was like a big gamer right like I played Call of Duty like morning to night it was like all I did when I was outside of school and um my dad always says that it gave me really fast like reaction time mm. to things Mm -hmm. And he used to joke, yeah. so when I was driving once in high school, I had an old 95 Chevy Blazer, right? Like, super old school. Love it. it. Like, if you took a turn too fast, all the gas would go to one side of the car and it would stall out. Like, it was just, you know, a real piece. I got it for like a thousand bucks. And <laughs> um, I was driving on the freeway once and the connect, I went over a bump and a connector that kept the hood down got knocked off and my hood flew up and shattered my windshield. While I was driving on the freeway, right, right, going like 70 miles an hour. And I'm like 16 and I don't even remember doing it. Like I remember it flying up at me and me being like really confused. And then like the next thing I remembered was I was pulled over. I was parked and my keys were on the passenger seat. Like I had just like auto mode, yeah. like, oh, pull over and turn your fucking car off. Right. Yeah. And I was when my dad came to like pick me up and like help me or whatever. He was like, it's all those video games. They got you a good, good reaction time. You have you got <laughs> quick reflexes. Right. And 
like thinking about it, like we used to always joke about that, but like thinking about it, like it's probably true. Like mm -hmm. that is not a part of your brain that gets like utilized in normal life. I'm not like all the time, like stopping something from falling or, you know what no. I mean? I'm not working yeah. on my reaction time. Right. But I could definitely see how, even if just that, like he already naturally had these, some of these skills that just like would make him a good racer. And then these just kind of cultivated it, gave him a way to like flex that muscle yeah. of being like, you know, what uh, dry? I don't really know what you need, <laughs> but you know, like flex the muscles that would eventually yeah. make him this great driver. Like, I think that's really fucking cool that a video game could do that. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I didn't think about it that way of like the the reflexes with driving and just yeah, how I, I have now that I think about that. TJ has never been in a car accident, and I know like correlation causation whatever but he's really good at video games and plays them all the time and he'll like follow cars closely sometimes which drives me insane and then he's like yeah. never even close to heading them you know like his control is really good and before I played video games I was getting in so many accidents <laughs> and now I play them and I feel like yeah I feel like my reflexes are, are a lot better so who knows? Yeah, it's like this weird muscle in our brains or, you know, timing in our brain that like doesn't get used that much in real life because yeah. it's like you're not just like accidentally knocking over a jar of pickles and have to catch it really quick all the time. Right. That's something that happens once every six months or you're not like having to swerve out of the way because somebody runs into the street all the time. It's something that happens right. rarely. But then like when you put yourself in like video games or like some sort of like simulation where you actually have to like oh, there's someone coming up on your right. You have to whip over and then whip over and with accuracy do things. Yeah. It's, it does make a difference. I when feel I like. Think, and, and I think it's in the pictures I sent you, but it shows like some pictures of the trainings that they do. I saw that. It literally looks like a flight simulator. Did you all see the stuff around it? Yeah. Did you see the one with all the little buttons that they have to hit really fast? They're like standing up and there's like little sensors they have to hit as fast as they can. Yeah, it's like they did playing, that in the uh, movie too. Uh, whack a mole. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It like so they train the reflexes that way too, and then obviously like a lot of practice on the track and stuff. And then the other thing I didn't even really think about until I started watching more documentaries is they're in a different car all the fucking time, and they like re oh. they redesign these cars and they're like different models. They feel different. So basically. The way that the racing is, is it's in three parts. So it's like Friday, Saturday, Sunday thing. And obviously Sunday is like the big racing day. So Friday is when they get on the track for the first time and they're just like feeling it out in their car. They just do some little loops. It's not an actual race. They're just practicing. Yeah. Saturday is what's called the qualifiers. And the qualifiers, they have to make sure that like, the car is qualified to race. Um, and then also depending on their speed, when they do like these practice loops, that determines what place their car is going to start in. Oh, okay. Okay. So if you're further back, it's because you like didn't do as good. <laughs> and Sunday is the actual race. Um, but every year, these teams, Audi, Mercedes, whatever, they're always trying to come up with the bigger, better car. So they're in new yeah. cars all the time. So I'm sure that yeah. makes it even harder. Well, yeah, because driving, I mean, you get so used to your car. 
when you have your car and then when you yeah. drive someone else's, you're like, what the fuck? Like the brakes are different, the everything's different and right. weird. Right. And so, yeah, yeah I, I can't even imagine. I mean, I don't, so I don't drive, I don't have a car, but I will rent a car every once in a while. Like for example, I went back to Arizona visit my family for Christmas and I rented a car and it's like, it, driving is so weird and scary when you don't do it all the time. You just get yeah. so used to it, right? And then yeah. when you don't do it and then you have to do it, you're like, what? People are just doing this all the time, <laughs> every day? Like, this is horrifying. See, and I like <laughs> I work really far from my house and I used to work in home health too. And I just, I've gotten so used to it. I drive everywhere. And then in like the area I live in, you have to drive. So I, I'm like very used to driving, but... I do work in healthcare a lot with people who have been in motor vehicular accidents and have like yeah. brain injuries from it, you know? So yeah. like I've, I've seen that and it, that definitely has like made me really think about how important it is to be safe behind the wheel. So just a Seriously. PSA to everybody who's listening. <laughs> yeah. Stop driving. You freaks. No, just <laughs> you weirdos. So just to kind of wrap things up, if people are curious about the movie. Um, so it came out last year. It is based on the true story of Martin Burroughs life. And the film was produced by Columbia pictures, um, PlayStation productions also, cause they made the Gran Turismo game. Um, and it tells the story of, you know, his journey from being a little teenager video gamer to being a professional racer. So uh, crazy. So insane. The movie stars Archie Medekwe as Yan Marnborough. If you guys have seen Saltburn, you know who I'm talking about. Awesome actor. Um, David Harbour plays Richard ah, Davila, which I love. Love him. I love him. He does a great job. And then there's also, so Orlando Bloom is in it. And he plays like the spokesperson for Nissan and the Gran Turismo Academy. <laughs> and he's kind of like an asshole. He's basically like, does this kid have what it takes? Is he going to make us money? Blah, blah, blah. And they kind yeah. of like, this is the one thing in the movie that is pretty inaccurate. I'm sure there's other things, but this stuck out to me is like, they advertise it in the movie as like, they've never done this before. This is the very first year we're ever going to do this Academy, but it had been going on for like the last mm. few years. Um, but he's like the spokesperson for it. Um, the movie received mixed reviews, um, criticism for its writing, but I personally loved the movie. I thought the acting was really good. I thought Archie did an amazing job. Um, and like Martin Burroughs said, it's pretty accurate to what actually happened in his life. So Andy did his own stunts. So definitely something cool to I watch. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I'll definitely watch that. I mean, that sounds really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I really enjoyed it. And as soon as I watched it, I was like, okay, I have to do a story on this. So I thought it was great. Um, okay. So Yen Marinborough's journey from gaming to professional racing is a testament to the potential of video games like Gran Turismo and training future racers. And who knows, maybe training them for other things like training them to go to space or to play other sports. Um, his yeah, I mean, they do that already with people who uh, like are really good at certain video games and they do they have them. The military will, will recruit them to do like drone stuff. That makes sense. Yeah, I've, I've heard that that's a thing. I don't know how extensive it is, but I do know that that's a thing. Well, and I mean, like, um, 
you know, working in the medical fields, a lot of occupational therapists will help patients return to driving after injury and they use driving simulators. Makes sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so Martinborough's success in the racing world demonstrates talent and dedication can overcome any stigma or challenge. Um, and that is the perplexing story of Ian Martinborough, the man who became a professional racer through the help of a video game. That's definitely a wild one. That's crazy. I love it. I love that it. was cool. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. Um, thank you also for like giving your commentary because, you know, I was like I said, I was kind of nervous about covering it because it was my sport first sports episode. So, um, hey, you if, did a great job. Thank you. If any uh, people are listening who like know a lot about racing, please, you can like correct me, but like, please don't be rude because I really, <laughs> I don't know a lot about racing, full disclosure. Um, but be yeah, nice. I just thought it was a you great story. You can be right, but be nice about it. Exactly. I don't mind if people correct me. Just don't be an asshole. <laughs> oh, I always say that. I'm like, I am so ready to be wrong. Like, that is not a problem. If you're nice to me about it, yeah. I'll probably even like you better. Like, a hundred percent. Yeah. Cassidy, it, I um, had Amanda talk about this a few weeks ago, but people might have forgotten. So where can people find you guys and listen to your podcast? Oh, yeah. Uh, so we're Drinking the Kool-Aid podcast. We're available on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Music, or wherever you listen. Um, you can also find our information at dtkpod.com. We have our uh, merch on there, our Patreon, our social medias, our you know ways to listen, all that good stuff. Um, I actually remember our uh, URL, unlike somebody else who was on this <laughs> podcast who might be a part of my podcast. But, uh, but yeah, so you can find any of our stuff on there. and. Uh, We'd love to have you. If you like Pedro, you'll probably like us and vice versa, man. So if people don't know, Cassidy and Amanda are actually like the reason I started doing this. Um, Oh shit, really? Yeah, seriously. So it's actually pretty crazy. I just, I wanted a new podcast to listen to. I got on Spotify. Y'all were in my algorithm. I was like, oh, this looks interesting. And then I just started listening to them and I was like, I love this. And I knew that I didn't want to do like purely true, true crime. Um, So it was nice because, you know, y'all do a little bit of everything, all the mysterious. And yeah, I just, the first person I ever talked to was Amanda. I was just like, hey, just wanted to let you know. I sent her like a DM on Instagram. I was like, I love y'all's podcast. Thank you. Y'all inspired me to start mine. And she was so nice. And she was just like, oh, what's it called? I want to listen. And then several months went by and me and um, TJ went to LA to see his brother. And I just hit them up and was like, Cassidy, Amanda, do you guys want to hang out? So uh, the rest is history. So it's really, really cool to like have you guys on here and like, you know, be friends with y'all now. And uh, yeah, it just means a lot. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. That means a lot to me too. Yeah, we had so much fun meeting you and TJ and um I mean, this has been a blast. So just thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Anytime. Um, So yeah, just to wrap everything up, uh, if you guys want to support the show, you can always leave a five-star review wherever you listen. It helps a whole lot. If you are watching on YouTube and you enjoyed, you can hit that subscribe button. And if you really want to support, you can become a patron. It's just $3, less than a cup of coffee, and you get tons of exclusive bonus content. Um, So thank you guys so much. I hope you all have a great week. I hope you all stay safe, and I can't wait to talk to you next week. 
Bye. Bye. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Perplexity, a mystery podcast. Hosted, written, and produced by Kadra Brennan. If you enjoyed today's episode, tell the world about it by going to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leaving a five-star review. It helps the show more than you know. Contact, support, and merch links can be found in the episode description. And if you have a story to share or a topic request, send an email to perplexitymysterypodcast at gmail.com. Kadra would love to read your story on the podcast. Until next week, stay curious.